0: And I did this for years. I ended up maxing out my credit cards and I sold my car and furniture, literally our furniture in our house so that we could eat and so that we could make rent. The most valuable thing in our home was literally my wife's wedding ring. And it was just, it was kind of ridiculous. Like, uh, and obviously, you know, it was, it was the most painful situation that I had ever come across, you know, and, and that I've experienced as a, as a startup founder because I literally could not let go. I couldn't let go and I wouldn't let go. And, and it wasn't until I literally had nothing, nothing left. I mean, there was nothing left, there was nothing left to hold on to at that point.
1: Welcome everyone to Zero to Traction, a podcast about how first-time founders create companies that scale. I'm one of your regular co-hosts, JDM, AKA Josh David Miller. I'm joined by one of my other regular co-hosts, Cameron Law. How are you, Cameron? I'm doing wonderful, excited to be here and going to have a wonderful conversation. So I'm excited. Happy to hear that. I'm excited too, because our guest co-host today is Spencer Bardsley of Shared Vision. Spencer, welcome. Hi, all. Good to see you. Yeah, it's great to be here. We got an interesting topic today. We're going to talk about experimenting and traction. And I know from my separate conversations with you, Spencer, that you have some interesting experiences when it comes to experiments and learning from the marketplace, So. Hopefully, always, always, Yeah, hopefully that'll, that'll come through loud and clear, but we, we're basically going to break this topic of experimenting and testing because it's kind of a, a hard, naughty, weird thing to talk about, kind of break it down into, into three pieces. So for those who just haven't been sold on the idea for some reason about why testing is important, we're going to talk about why a little bit, some of the mindset that goes into that and why that there's like so much just even from an ecosystem perspective that Cameron does or, 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 or that I do to try to promote like a culture of testing and a culture of experimenting. So we want to talk about the why a little bit. We'll, then we'll move into our, our second segment, which will be about how you actually engage in that process. What does that look like? Well, yeah, there'll be some theory in that, but hopefully we get some tactical examples about how you can go about learning things from, from real customers in the real marketplace. And then we'll talk finally in our third segment about what we can actually do. With that information once we get data back you know it's the pivot persevere kind of the ultimate question there so it's going to be a fun conversation i'm really looking forward to it before we just dive head first into our our first segment i'm hoping spencer tell us a little bit about yourself tell us about shared vision
0: yeah so spencer Bardsley, but this is my fourth startup and i've really spent most of my career in either small businesses or startups primarily my own i've done everything from run a new construction department for a electrical company early in my career to being the head of a smart glasses group with the local company here in sacramento vsp global for for a, a little while there also but primarily i i've been in the startups this is a startup arena and you know for Shared Vision, what we are, is we are a software company, obviously, number one, online software company that helps content creators or influencers, if you know them more by that name. We help them manage all of the products that they recommend. They might have thousands of products over thousands of posts over a dozen different platforms. And If you think about it, it's an e-commerce-sized store full of of products, except for they don't have a store and they don't have any way to manage them. And they'll manage them on a Google doc or a spreadsheet, or for most of the creators, honestly, not at all. So we come in, we help them make a lot more money and save them a lot more time. So those are the basics
1: right now. So this is, this is how creators make money, right? Like they'll, they're talking about a product or maybe reviewing it, or it's a product that they just used in whatever content that they were, they were doing. And so the content, the creator or influencer, They put the link in the description, right? And they're like, click here to buy this thing and they get affiliate revenue from that.
0: Yeah, yeah, you got it. And affiliate revenue for those that aren't aware of this is uh, it's just a regular link. So it links to the regular page, but all it is 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 it's a referral or it's a referral link. So if they click, if you as a consumer click on the referral link, the prices don't change. It just gives your favorite content creator or influencer credit for that sale that or that referral. And then the business, the brand, or the retailer actually pays them a small commission typically for that. They could be affiliated officially with that brand, or it could just be because they really love the product and they you know, have you purchase it on Amazon and they have a link on Amazon that that gives them a little referral commission. But those are the two primary ways from a product
1: recommendation
0: standpoint that they'll
1: earn money from. Got it. Very, very cool. So I hopefully we'll dive into some more specifics there when we get into some of these topics but for now Cameron like take us away for for our first segment what's the what's the why here why is there so much time spent talking about testing and talking about experimenting
2: I love it well thanks Spencer for being here and uh, we're looking forward to hopping into this conversation around experimenting and you know really building that I think foundation around like why does experimenting and testing matter and I want to kind of you know go back to you know, some of our previous conversation around startups are really, you know, looking into this unknown territory, right? There's not that business model that exists. And so you have all these assumptions that you need to go about testing and starting to gain evidence to see if there's actually a there there and what you're working towards. And so, you know, one of the things that I often kind of see is it comes in and I have one assumption, I go test that and boom, we're we're there. But really not this ethos around testing as a mainstream part of the culture of the business And really integrating into that and so i'm curious both spencer and jdm is that something that you've seen in early stage founders where that like ingrained ethos of testing isn't quite there or if it is what kind of that difference looks like so i'm kind of curious of getting your thoughts on on the why and some of that mindset around
1: it Mm. you want me to go first on that one you know what hop in because he said ethos and i'm just thinking big lebowski oh my gosh (laughs) This, this Say what one. you will about the tenets of national socialism, man, but at least it's an ethos. Indubitably. So when when
0: when I think about this,
1: I, this is this is
0: one that's near and dear to me, and and I've I've seen so many startups in both sides of this, both sides of whether they're willing to test and ex- experiment or whether they're not, whether they think they're right or whether they think that you know and their solution is the way and quite frankly, I've seen how that causes companies to crash and burn. And, and quite frankly, just, you know, from my own experience, like my, I have had personally that experience where I did not test for and work towards the problem or finding and identifying the problem. I was trying to ram my solution, the thing that I had created my baby down everybody's throat and I was searching and search for a problem. And it's just a terrible place to be. So, you know, there's so many companies that, you know, that you can see that when they, when they actually run these quick experiments early, that it will be greatly to their benefit. And primarily it's greatly to their benefit because, you know, the truth of the matter is, is you may have a gut, a gut, like, I don't know, not just reaction, but like your gut may tell you that this is a problem, or this is something, or 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 here's a solution to some problem. And what you really have to understand as an early startup is you have to be willing to find some way to test it out. And I think that there are there are lots of ways. And the, you know, one of the biggest ways that that people will test it out is they'll say, okay, can you build some sort of minimum viable product or the MVP, or can you build a prototype or something like that. And and I would actually say that there in many cases are easier ways to test as well. And so some of the ones that I always employ at this, you know, in really, really early stages is one, before I go digging deep into something, I write the idea down and I try to separate myself from the excitement for just a moment. Because sometimes just separating yourself, making sure you get it down, but separating yourself from the excitement can help you to see it from a different perspective later and not get caught up in the hype of a solution to a to a problem that you think exists that's one like really really quick way just write it down come back to it in a day and if you're still super excited about it and you feel like you know then maybe look into it a little bit more and then i always 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 check the market what you know what what are people doing to solve this problem today what are they doing and sometimes and oftentimes it can be nothing or it can be some some tool or Maybe they're using, you know, a banana. I don't know. Something some way to solve this this particular problem. And if you don't find anybody that's solving the problem, that's generally a problem. Because it means that the market may not be mature enough or you might be too early or you might be too late or it might be too expensive. And then, you know, another way that I'll test the market early is is to really tried to run a quick model. I always, it's, it's, and you know, this is what a lot of people say, but I always call it the back of the napkin. Like I, I'm always, I'm always doing back of the napkin math on a model. Like, oh, okay. So who cares? I always, I always think about that. Like who cares? How many care? How often do they care? And how long will they care? You know, and, and just like, just kind of asking some general questions around it. And doing just and these are all things that you can do in an afternoon. Like this is not these are not difficult things. And I will tell you that you know having run a company completely into the ground because I didn't do these things, and then having been able to take other ideas and quickly get rid of them was much to my benefit. So those are kind of the ways that I, I usually like to start. There are lots of other ways. I'm sure you're going to go into them. Guys, here, but but certainly those are those are like quick ways that I love to do it that that don't even involve building anything yet. No, no prototypes, none of that stuff.
1: There's so much gold in in what you just said, but like the big the big takeaway I think that people just don't think about enough is how easy it is to test. Like we think of testing as like this really complicated thing that takes a lot of time. And that, and it's some experiments do like that's, you know, sometimes you got to build a thing and, and get out to market, but most of the time you don't, particularly if you're earlier on, or if it's just, I don't know what term, I don't remember what term you used, but like cockamamie scheme that you have thought of that you're excited about today. And like, is there a way to, to put something in front of customers to just figure out or is there, are, are we pointing in the right direction? Is it like directionally accurate? And you can do it, like you said, in an afternoon and you can create even a rapid prototype and get it out in front of customers in an, in an afternoon and like it's it's so easy to get get data back that like that's i think the where we need to grind ground this concept in the most is just hey guys this is not complicated it's hard but it's not complicated and it doesn't take a lot of time
2: i i just have one add on there and i think it's kind of looking at two of the things that were shared one just the like concept that spencer brought in where it was like looking at this is your baby you're trying to bring into the market And so there is this kind of like innovators bias right i was like i know people are going to use it in those types of things and I could see where like culturally is like, well, if I'm going to bring this thing in, I need it to be big and robust and all the things associated with it because I don't want to get feedback. And I know that it's potentially going to be feedback that's going to be negative towards those things that, you know, ultimately will move the, the idea forward. And so I just saw those two kind of having an intersection there that, you know, you as a founder might be going and like, hey, I have this big idea and this, this thing that I've created, but I know that if I only do it at this little scale... It's not going to feel like the fully representation of what's in my head, but that's okay, and that's where you're actually going to get the most evidence early on as you're going through through that business.
0: Yeah, and I want I want to bring up one quick thing because I may may have jumped the gun on some of the how to test as in, from early, but I, I think if I recall, one of the things that you asked is like why do you test, and and it's really there's there's there's. A number of reasons but for me i would say kind of my top reasons for why you want to test is is one if you don't test you're not going to have a a product or a service that a market will care about which therefore means you're not going to have a business and that's that's really like a big a big thing and what that can mean is you might get like you're going to get your friends and family probably to invest you might get some other people to invest and you know just on this uh, this idea and what will happen is you'll spend all this money and this is again from that personal personal experience is is you can end up driving things so far down because you're you didn't do the testing you just kept working off your own assumptions and not digging into the market that you'll just end up putting yourself in just an awful situation because, you know, you're so married, as you said, Cameron, to this idea and the idea, ideas are so, so, so cheap. They're so cheap. I come up with probably, and this is not an exaggeration, two to three a day, you know, and, and it's just like, they're so cheap. Ideas are cheap. It's execution. It's all about execution and it's all about being able to hit, hit the market at the right time with the right idea you know, with the right team. And, and so, you know, the quicker that you can kill an idea, the way, the so much better you're better off. You're going to be. I remember with this company, one of the things that we did first was go through an exercise of all the stupid things about it. You know, just like what, what, what is, what, what should kill this idea? And if we could, at the end of the day, feel like that there were less things that would kill it than that would actually make it. It, 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 led us to, you know, kind of move forward too. like, you really have to be sometimes critical like that so that you're not, you know, and and this is not to say don't, don't be innovative, don't don't go take risks. This is, I mean, being, doing a startup inherently is risky. It's just a calculated risk. And you want to de-risk that in, in some cases, and then, you know, build up your upside in the, in the advantage. And if you don't test, so why test? If you do not test then you're just limiting your upside as well. Not only are you almost guaranteeing your downside, you're completely limiting your upside and to the opportunities that will almost guaranteed uncover themselves when you test.
1: There's a, a book I have right here at my desk. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this book. It's called The Dip by Seth Godin. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is a, it's a great book. We'll put a link in the show notes to this, but the, the premise of the dip is a lot of what you were just talking about. And so so you guys can see how thin this is on camera here. It's pretty, it's it's a Seth Godin book. It's very short, but the, the premise of the dip is that, you know, we tell the story of like, you know, when you get working on something that's hard, like a startup, you, you know, you get, you get working at it. Then there's this like trough of sorrows that you fall into and it's, oh, it's terrible. But if you just have grit and perseverance, then you make it through the trough of sorrows and you just catapult up the other side on that hockey stick you know, graph here. And of course it's not true. You know, the, the, I, the whole point of this book and kind of what you're saying is that more often than not, we're wrong. And about, about the, there, that the, there's no, there, there, you know, even if it's something small, like do people want this feature or something big? Like is there a market opportunity for my startup in the first place at all? That most of the time there isn't a there, there. And because most of the time there isn't a there, there, if you go into this dip, if you are volunteering, yourself or pain and suffering and turmoil and terribleness. And why would you do that if there's no there there? And so like the grit isn't the hard part is the point, you know, it's knowing when to use grit, which I think in, in his analogy, in Seth Godin's analogy, he says that it's not that winners never quit, you know, it's that winners win because they quit everything else. Right. And it's learning that strategic value of quitting. So let's share that. That's
2: interesting because I I, so much of I think what's usually had been taught about entrepreneurs is they're like, you know, the dedicated hard worker, they're gonna just persevere through everything without maybe taking that perspective to see is is there (laughs) there and what I'm trying to build, or should I take, you know, feedback from the marketplace and, and pivot that idea? And I know we'll talk about that later, but it's an interesting concept where we often praise entrepreneurs for being the person who perseveres and kind of has that grittiness, but not really with the context of, you know, taking in information and ultimately, you know, sourcing that kind of culture of experimenting and testing. And so one question I wanted to ask you, Spencer, was you've mentioned a couple different ventures, one that's gone downhill and one that's gone uphill and kind of in relation to this concept of like why experimenting matters. Like, how did the cultures of those businesses differ? Was that something that was ingrained earlier on? Was that established in terms of the team? Like, what did that look like in terms of the why in getting your team on board with that?
0: Yeah. So w- one of the first companies, and it really was, even today, gr- a great technology. Just, just way ahead of its time, still seeing things from 12, 13 years ago that are just coming out now. And it can be a lot about timing, but what happened in that, in that company, this is one of the ones that was a a pretty epic failure for me in particular. And, you know, my co-founders, they may or may not know a lot of this even. So if they're watching, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll kind of know some of those things, but what, what ultimately happened is that we, we came up with an idea at first based on a need and we were trying all these different ideas. We were just, we were just. Doing, doing the thing that college kids do is we just had a board full of ideas and it was not a bad way to start. Actually, it was we just kept thinking about different problems and different things we could do and all over the place. And what could we build together? And we all we all were entrepreneurial, all entrepreneur minded and all of us still in ironically, all, all three of us in in startups still. And, and what, what we ended up doing is we found, you know, some technology, we, that one of the creator one of the founders had bits of, and we found a company that, that was trying to accomplish some things with its, with its marketing department and with its marketing funnel in particular. And so we, we, we built a solution for them. But once we started doing that, we realized like what we built, it took us, you know, it it took our engineer just literally... You know, it was a very short, it was a very short period of time and we got caught, we got caught in, oh, well, we can add this and we can add that and we can add this and we can add that. And, and before long, we had created this, you know, this massive thing that could basically do almost anything you wanted it to do. And it's, it It just, it always reminds me of that scene in the Incredibles when when dash's mom is like everyone's special dash and he's like well if everyone's special then nobody is and that's kind of like or like if it if it can do everything then it's not really beneficial to anyone you know because it can't do something and and so what would happen and and i'll tell you just one quick story here is is i was at intuit and i was with a bunch of executives over there upper management and and i was talking to them about the technology and the software and everything is. And they started going down the list of oh this would this would work for this tool and replace this tool, and then they kept going and they kept going and they kept going and they kept going after the third one i w- I thought, oh my gosh i'm we're 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 hosed we're screwed because it start it started to mean that that was three hundred jobs, that was five hundred jobs, that was a thousand jobs you know these are these are departments, and it wasn't solving any of them. In particular, it was things that it could be used for to solve the problems that those tools are solving as well. And, and so we didn't have a problem. And so we just kept searching and searching and searching. And, and I did this for years. I you know, ended up like maxing out my credit cards. And I sold my car and, and furniture, literally our furniture in our house so that we could eat and so that we could make rent. My, the most valuable thing in our home was literally my wife's wedding ring. And it was just it was kind of ridiculous. Like uh, and obviously, you know, it was it was the most painful situation that I had ever come across, you know, and and that I've experienced as a as a startup founder, because I literally could not let go. I couldn't let go and I wouldn't let go. And uh, and it wasn't until I literally had nothing, nothing left. I mean, there was nothing left. There was nothing left to hold on to at that point. And I was just trying to do, and we were just trying to do too much. And I take a lot of that on myself because I was kind of the one leading, leading those efforts. So, you know, not, not, not doing that early, that early testing, it was really like the early thing that, 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 that caused this issue is that we went away from solving the problem for the customer to building out cool technology. And that was, that was a major, major factor. In, in things going down cuz i held on to it there's obviously the other side you know with this company and and the complete 180 i'm happy to talk more about that you know but it was a, it was a big it was a huge lesson learned for me and something that i just i just won't even i won't even tolerate it anymore uh, i do not even care about what the idea is anymore it's all about the problem it's all about the customer it's all about serving and 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 helping them out so it, big, big shift for me, you know, after that experience.
2: Well, thanks so much for sharing that s- story. I know it can't be easy to to relive some of the, that that pain for sure. And I appreciate your vulnerability and, and sharing that and and the realization for first time founders that you can get to to that point. And you know, the final thought yes, I have don't there. Go there. Yeah, don't don't go to the place where the only thing left is your your wife's wedding ring. That was that's quite the quite the story there. But I think you know my final thoughts in pulling that, and we'll have JDM take us to the to the next segment. There was just really thinking of yes, you have have an idea you're passionate about, but really separating yourself from that idea and doing the work to understand if there's a there there, and really that's the the why the driver behind experimenting and testing is to see. If there is something out there and ultimately that idea is going to morph to the person that you're trying to solve that problem for. And so thank you, Spencer, for sharing that and J.D. and the thoughts there. But let's head to segment two. I'll pass it to you, JDM.
1: Go. Cool. all right. Yes. Well, going from why, which we can't better articulate within that particular story, for sure. <laughs> why you should test. <laughs> it follows, it follows why, you know, how you go about the process of of doing that. What is, you know, testing, testing look like. And, you know, we, we kind of tease this, you know, Spencer, you and I were riffing for, for a bit on it being easy earlier, or at least straightforward. And I think that that's the important part. If we could just take a minute and kind of demystify the process of what a test is, and then we can talk about maybe some specific tests that you've run in the past and specific tests that that Cameron or I have run or seen run in the past. And that would be, that'd be cool. But just start with like demystifying it. Like the 30,000 foot view, you know, the the thing that we're saying is like, you don't know, you don't have all this information at the outset. So therefore you got to test. It's the only way to get data back. You know, don't, don't sniff your own farts. You gotta, you gotta go out there and get some information. And so in order to, in order to get that information, you have to run an experiment. Another way to say that same thing, which you'll hear talked about a lot is like checking your assumptions is that you build this whole like big assumptions stack. That's just part of your thing. It's like that there's, the, in order to say that there's a there, there, or like, I think this is a good idea, which is probably the most overused phrase in all of startup land is like, uh, I, have a, I have an idea for a startup. You want to hear my startup idea? It's like, no, 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 not, not really. I want to hear your startup evidence. If you don't have any, go away. But this is why Cameron has to, you know, be play good cop on anything that we do together. But <laughs> like just like, Go away. away. But so you have to, you have to figure out figure, if that is uh, uh, what oh. <laughs> you, you have to, okay, well, there we go I'll, We'll edit that out. Awkward silence there. So, but it's an assumption stack. So when you say that there's a there, there, I haven't a good idea. It's built on this like house of cards of that there's a that people are going to use this product in sufficient quantity that it makes you money. In order to use it in a sufficient quantity that it makes money, has to be something you can get them to pay for in the first place. Therefore, there has to be they they have to have a pain. They have to not only have that pain, but they have to hear. You talk about it in the way that they think about it, and they have to hear you talk about the solution in a way that resonates with them. And none of that's going to happen if you can't find them in the first place. And so there's this whole big stack of assumptions, and each one of those are buckets of assumptions as opposed to individual assumptions. It's just it's this big house of cards. And, and so you know you got to you know figure out how you validate those. And so when we talk about like the process of testing that, what we really just mean is finding some way to take one of those assumptions, turn it into the form of a question, and ask the customer the question. And we might ask them literally, as in the case of like an interview, but we also might ask them not literally in the form of, can we get people to click this ad or will people click this feature or will they give us their email address in order to or, you know, whatever, whatever the question is. And so I, I think we can get into a lot of details if we have time about like what exactly an hypothesis is and, and how you structure those and how you test them. But maybe starting on the surface with just some kinds of tests. Let's just talk about like literally, you know, soup to nuts. Like what? What are some test examples? I know Cameron or Spencer. You guys want to jump in with some examples? Go ahead, Spencer. Yeah. So, so
0: I'm going to say one quick thing, for just a quick step back. So there, I for me, I think there's one step before the testing of the product or the idea, and that is, what do you want out of it? What What do you want? So you might think of something great. You might think of some great idea. You think, obviously. But what what do you want out of it? Are you trying to build a company that makes millions of dollars and, and you know reaches the world? Are you trying to build a company that is a lifestyle? Do you even want to build a company? You just think it's a good idea, you know, and because you think it's such a good idea, you would start doing it. Like make sure that your goals going into it. Like just test test what you want beforehand. Like, do you want to spend 70, 80, 90 hours a week on startup life? Do you want to you know you're trying to build something that just makes you a little bit more more money on the side like just try to understand what you're doing going in okay enough said on that one quick thing one thing that i will say on the testing is example if you've tested some of the things i mentioned earlier like just uh, you know what's in the market all those kinds of things that i mentioned earlier just like some really quick things and you've done all the all the quick tests in the afternoon that don't require you to go talk to somebody Let's, let's pretend like those are done. So we've, uh, the, the example that I would say is you got to talk to somebody. <laughs> like, so the first, the first thing is to go, go talk to, go talk to whoever the customer might be, find them, find some way to talk to them. And, and, and clearly what you clearly have, to, what you have to do is you cannot leave them. So what I, what I mean by that is, is you cannot go to them and ask them if what you are proposing is a good idea. Most people, unless they're your really, really good friends that are genuinely honest with you, are going to tell you that it's a good idea. They're going to play what people used to call it like the mom or dad card, right? Is they'll be like, oh, that's such a great idea. Yeah, you should try that. You know, the quick way you can test it. Great. Will you give me $5,000 to go test it? And then they'll be like, oh, it's not actually a great idea. So that's a good way to kind of test it. (laughs) Some people is just ask for some money. It's really, it's a really quick litmus test. But the, but with the customers, right? Go and ask them and, and instead of asking them about your idea, don't even bring up your idea. That is just an absolute no-no when you talk to a customer for the first time or, or who you think is a customer. Cause like us, we, we, we were talking to the wrong person. We, we were talking to the wrong customer. We found out because we were asking interview. We were interviewing people. And the idea is, is that you talk to them about, the problem that the thing that you thought about is based around. So if it's, if it's about, you know, better soccer balls, then you're going to go talk to kids about, you know, about them playing soccer. You're going to ask them what they do during the day, during practice, when they practice at home, you're going to ask them questions about, you know, what, what, what kind of ball they used. And if they picked it out or if their parents picked it out for them, which is an important difference, (laughs) you know, because, you know, the child might be your customer, but the, or the child might be the user, but the parent is the actual customer, you know? And so you, you have to ask questions around the subject and then take notes. You just take notes and, and talk to, you know, you could probably talk to what I would say. This is what I typically do is five to seven people, if they are actually in the same space, try to be as homogeneous as possible so that you're not getting different variables coming in and just Talk to them about the situation, about the around the problem. Ask them how they're solving it, what they're doing. But and then just generally and ask them for a journey. Like, hey, when you go buy a soccer ball, what does that look like? Well, I go onto Amazon, I find the stupid cheapest one, and I buy it in the end. It's like, oh, maybe there's not a good opportunity there. (laughs) You know, but it's (laughs) like, you know, there's there's lots of different situations you can do. And then you can start to like amass information. And what whenever inevitably will happen is they will give you a nugget that will either point you in a different direction to help with your next interview to ask different questions so that you can get better information, or they may even very quickly invalidate the idea. So that those, those are those. Are, that's what I would say is one concrete way: go interview. Never, ever, 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 ever bring up your idea with them. <laughs> you have to. You have to. You have to go around it. Don't lead the questions to so that your 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 solution is what comes up. You just have to go in there, open mind and listen, shut up and listen, ask a question, you know, and, and write down responses and just say, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's really cool. And prod and dig and, you know, those kinds of things.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Th- yeah. And that's, it's kind of what people mean when they, or at least parallels what they mean when they talk about falling in love with the problem. Right. Because like if as you're talking to, you know, the like uh, the kids with the soccer balls, so we'll just stick with that one. Like if you're talking to the kid with a soccer ball and the kid won't give you money for the soccer ball, well, now you like, well, but does mom want to give me money for the soccer ball It's something completely different? Or is the problem I'm solving here with regards to these super cool, I'm just going to assume this is a high tech soccer ball with like IOT and <laughs> shit. That's what I'm assuming here. So that this, this high tech soccer ball have a better play at the, you know, with schools, right? Is it something that I could sell that way? Cause I'm solving a problem for the athletic department you know, at a school or is that at the professional level, there's a bunch of different ways you can pivot around to like the same thing. But if you just start with the end result, which is, this is my idea for this one kid and you try to get them to pay you money and it's a no, then you're like, okay, why didn't this work? We don't know. We have no idea why it didn't work because all we did was take this whole big basket of assumptions, throw it in front of somebody and watch it fail. And it's like, well, now which of the 5,000 things I assumed was the one that was wrong. I don't know. Love
2: it. Well, I think just part of those conversations just lead to the like nuances in the language they use Oftentimes, you think that they would use a certain set of language for around the problem, but when they're actually telling you about it, when you kind of have that open-ended conversation, they might refer to the soccer ball and pitch differently than what you thought they were going to use, right? Maybe they actually use the term football or something of that sort, right? So I think that those are always really key elements. And when we look at those types of conversations and experiments, you know, one, they're certainly easy to run. They just take your time and going out and and taking notes and all those types of things. And really those are focused on, you know, what we talk about is like the desirability of the idea, right? Is there actually some sort of interest from a customer around that problem set? And there's a whole, you know, kind of methodology around design thinking with desirability, feasibility, and the viability, which I know we can, can chat about as you look at the different Sets of tests, but as you know, JDM spoke earlier. Like that is the house of cards. If there's if there's not a customer that has the problem and not interested in it, right? There's really nothing else to to do outside of it. if you wanted to build something that has no there there. Then you know you can waste time and money in doing so. But you know that's you know really a key starting point. And as you look at one of the areas we recommend is testing business ideas. So it's a great place to start for some of those experiments as you kind of go throughout that journey, but we would love to kind of learn a little bit more of some of the, you know, kind of feasibility tests you might've done as you, you know, started to kind of get some evidence around, you know, actually working and seeing, hey, customers are interested. You know, what were some of those actual, like, can I deliver on some of the value that they were looking for as those probably have a little more investment of resources, whether that's certainly time, but also having to build something. And so kind of curious of what some of those might've looked like.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's, it's, it's, it's a fun question because, you know, ultimately like just one step back is when you do these interviews and you do these, you know, you start testing with the space, you start to find what's, what, what the, what the industry is looking for, right? You have to kind of read between the lines at times. And I've told this probably a thousand times and, you know, it's a repeat in so many different locations, but we started off as an augmented reality company and we are not even close to that (laughs) (laughs) and 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 really what it all came down to is when we interviewed our first customers these consumers and i literally had walls of of sticky notes and of themes and all these different things we were able to track down where The consumers were getting their information now we knew this gut we knew we from our gut we knew where it was obviously they were getting it from youtube and blogs but what we didn't realize is that once we sort of coalesced all these different themes and information we we realized that the the problems that we were attempting to solve with our augmented reality solution actually stemmed from creators not having software these creators and influencers not having software to serve them, to allow them to produce a product that would help the consumer as much as possible. They were doing, they were just doing it themselves. Just like, I mean, they, which was absolutely amazing. Creators are amazing. Just if you, if you never get anything from me, they're just, just such an awesome group, but nobody was serving them. Nobody was serving them. And it was, that was a big finding that we had. And so then we started interviewing the consumer, the creators, these influencers. And then we found out and I started digging into it and we started to go down a path with them. I actually started building a product. I'll get back to that in two seconds. And then ultimately found out that that's not how they're making the most money and ultimately ended up over here where we are as a result because we continued to listen to the customer. Now, the way, the way that we ended up, finally deciding to take the plunge though, is once we, once we understood what the problems were in the creator space, or at least some of them, right. Cause we didn't understand all of them, obviously, because we didn't identify another one until we'd actually done some more testing, which meant we had to spend some money is, is that we found out, you know, that the, one of the revenue streams of these creators were these DIY do it yourself plans. And so we thought, Oh, look at these plans. They're just in, they're just they're they're all over the place they're not structured the same like if we if we if we standardized all of this we could get everybody to come in and we could get consumers to use it and we could we could make it easier for creators to create their how to plans and then publish them and all of those things so we so we built this app actually and i had to raise a little bit of money to do it and partly from us ourselves as the owners and partly from some other some creators actually gave us a little bit of money, and and then we went and tested it out. We hired a, the cheapest engineer we could find on Upwork at the time, and and then just just went after it. And and as we as we started building it, we continued, and this is the important piece: is we continued to talk to our creators constantly, bringing it up, interviewing them, talking with them more about it. And it wasn't until and I and I kid you not. We launched this, the, the app in September of 2021, and, uh, and it was like September 19th or something that we launched it. And on September 22nd, we took the company in a completely different direction. And it was like we, we literally abandoned this thing that we had done. And it was primarily because we had, we, we, we had been listening and listening and listening to the creators and realized that what we had built is not the exact thing that they need. But what it had done is it had identified for us new opportunities. So what happened? And this is, this is sort of the cool ethos of, of how this all kind of uh, situation that put this all together is with those plans, there was also the tools and materials. We started talking to brands about those tools and materials and they're like, oh yeah, we would love to be able to sell these a little bit easier. And we we're talking to the creators and they're like, oh yeah, we like to sell these, but it's so hard to manage them. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, our experiment, while it was a bit expensive, all of a sudden turned us over to the real thing. And here's w- really quick. I want to say this one last thing. I know this is long, long thing because I think this is really important. Is I I had pitched a an investor with the first idea, the one that we actually launched that product. And he told me no. He told me no. And he said, I'm not, I'm just never going to, I'm never going to invest In in a matter of words. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then six months later, it was like, I don't know a week after I had turned flipped the company to this new to this new thing we were having lunch just chatting I happened to be back where he was and I was just telling him of all the changes and you know the direction that we were going and all that and he's like oh do you need any investors and he became our first anchor investor and invested a decent amount of money into the company and it was because of that investment that that we are where we are today and it was all as a result of us following the problems and following that 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 iterative process of of moving and adjusting, and there is anyway. I'll, I'll talk about something else later, but I, I just wanted to bring that up because it was it was really interesting to see the shift where all of a sudden investors wanted to invest, and I didn't even ask them versus versus me like almost begging at feet and nobody you know giving anything, and it was all based on the you know those problems and actually trying to solve them.
2: Right. I just had one thought that it was like that. What a is zero to like traction kind of like you could feel it. It was (laughs) like, oh, it like it clicked. And then with that evidence that you got really just changed the trajectory. One, obviously of the of the company. But then the thing started to fall in place because you started to have that evidence around it. That's correct. Yeah. So I just I think that. As I was like thinking of the title of the podcast, Zero Detraction, that was just such a great, you know, <laughs> example of it right there.
1: I, I think we've kind of naturally segued into into our third segment on, on on pivot and persevering and the and the so what thing here. But what all if I could just like take that that big story, that long and, and complicated story of, of of shared vision, at least as of today, right? But that long and complicated, you know, story and kinda of, kinda of like boil it down. It's like it's like this lesson that if you if you chase in the market, if you chase problems and you chase the big problems and you keep your keep laser focused on those things, that traction is an inevitability, right? People think that like, oh, you know, you, you, you're either going to fail this, you're going to succeed at this. And it's like, well, not really, because it's a process. And I think at the end of the day that, that startups, that's all they are. They just they just are a process. And then eventually you've built an organization that no longer needs that process. And then you're no longer a startup. But that startup is that cyclical, like build, measure, learn process. And so as you go, like chase through the dark alleyways of the, of the, where the customers are, and you know, you just kind of get these hints of something else that like, well, that's interesting, right? So then you start chasing down those conversations. Whereas the, the opposite of that, of the, of the not testing side of it is to say that like, well, the, that's that's not really the, that's not the problem I'm trying to solve. So let me focus still on this thing over here. And you're like, but, 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 but wait though, because I think we just heard something super interesting. You know, but it's over there. And is it right to go, you know, to go chase that other thing? And the is it right to chase that other thing is the pivot or persevere question, isn't it, Cameron?
2: It is indeed. So yeah, I mean, I think that when you get down to it, you're you're getting all this evidence. Some are validating, some are invalidating the direction that you thought the the business was going. And ultimately, you have to come to a decision, right? Uh, do you continue down that path or do you, you know, the term we hear all the time around startups is pivot, pivot, pivot. But, you know, really, how do you make that intentional decision around, do I actually move the company or the startup this way, or do I continue to further test down this line of evidence that I was originally having but you know what maybe I need to to shift that and so curious of kind of from from both of you I, I you know I kind of go back to that that culture component of it but when I think of that decision making you know going from augmented to reality to what you are now like that's a big decision to say hey you know we're gonna totally move this way I recognize that one of the steps you've taken is to detach somewhat from the idea and saying, "Hey, this is what the market's telling me, and evidence is showing I should continue to go down this way, but when the like rubber meets the road, curious from kind of both of you and whoever wants to take it first, but like how does that decision happen? Is it we're gonna go run the next test now down that line of pain, or what does that kind of look like in terms of like the actual startup process?
1: yeah, I have, well, I have the same question for you for you Spencer like how did how did you know it was time to switch because the question that I think a lot of founders ask Cameron, you've probably got this, this question a bunch of times too. It's it, it's something like this. So I'll do it reductively. It's well, how many how many customer interviews before I pivot? Like what what's give me the give me the metric? What's the number of data before I know that I need to I need to pivot? We're like, well, that does not really work that way. So how did you know, Spencer? How did you know?
0: Okay, so this is this is a tough one, and the reason why I say it's a tough one is is there is there is a line you have to walk as a start and the line that you have to walk is you have to be willing to drop it all and not get in the sunk cost fallacy of of your idea but you also cannot chase shiny objects i i am very familiar with a company from another that that a company i worked for invested in And this dude could not stop chasing shiny objects. I mean, it was every week. It was something new. You know, they were given too much money too early. they were given millions of dollars for basically nothing. And, uh, and they just kept, kept on chasing. Every single time I talked to them, it was this and it was that they were doing this and they were doing that. They weren't doing anything, you know, and it was, and, and, and it becomes very tricky that way too. So, so you don't want to get caught up. There's there are both sides of this line. There are you don't move, so you die, and you do move too quickly or too often, and you die, right? So there's there's a line you have to follow, and 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 that's why it is so critical. So to to keep in really really good communication and stick with a niche audience, like initially, like just stick niche niche niche. And the reason why is you'll be able to serve them and you'll be able to identify things that are going they're going to be helpful. So for us, why did we decide to make such big adjustments? Well, so the first one was easy because it was still an idea when it was augmented reality. Right? It was still just an idea. We did have to run a bunch of models and you know, we figured some stuff out, figured that that wasn't the way to go. And that was one that we changed because of the model and because of the investment model. That was easy, I think, because there was no lost effort other than the time that we had spent but when we had a product in the market and we were going to make a seismic shift into something completely different that was different that was harder and it was harder in the fact that we had the decision was harder to make but for me it wasn't that hard because i didn't want to have the same thing happen that happened before which is you know driving us into the ground because of an idea but really what it came down to is recognizing the opportunity of what kind of business, this is what I was talking about before, what kind of business we are trying to build. Are we building an investable business that we expect can turn, you know, have out, this is what I tell my team all the time, is we're building a business that its expectation is that we are going to have outsized returns, right? That is the business that we're building, is that at the end of the day, when we sell this or we go public or whatever, whatever, what have you, that, you know, our return on our investment and all of our investors' return on their investment is going to be a lot. You know, we're going to hit home runs for everybody. Grand slams all over the place. You know, we're all just just big wins, right? And, and once we, you know, digging into where we were headed and what this opportunity rep- represented and how much more excited the creators were in this particular shift made all the difference. It was like... There was comfort. There was, you know, you could feel that, that it was kind of in the right place. I, I hate to say that because sometimes you do feel, but that's really, that's really what it ended up being. It was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, let's go after that. Oh, that puts us in the middle of, of where all the money is being exchanged. That's a good place to be, right? You know, we're not trying to create a new marketplace. We are actually just making current system that already exists function better. We don't have to try to entice new people to do things, right? It was it was the the mindset of we have to build our own market to we get to use all of the creator's market. They, just, they build the market themselves and we benefit as long as they benefit. And so what it did is it aligned everybody's interests. And when I saw that the brand's aligns were aligned, the consumer's interests were aligned, the creator's interests were aligned, and our interests were aligned, there was no losers in this situation it was, it became an obvious and, and basically a, you know, decision at that point, which is why we were able to, even a couple of days after we launched that product, basically just move into a completely new business. It was because of that, all of those things kind of came together. So it, it, I wish it was just like the easiest thing in the world, but that was the process that, you know, happened for us.
2: I love it. Well, one of the thoughts, I think just to, to note is, you know, kind of to, to Josh's question is, you know, is there a marker on how many interviews to get to that point? And, and I think there is a real component of you do feel it because it's qualitative data, right? You're talking to people and you can feel the pain and the, you know, the way they talk about it, right? Or the excitement of what that would bring to them. And so there's certainly, you know, components to that that data in terms of a qualitative sense. Obviously, the more you can kind of start to systematically test that as you go further on, but... Having that earlier stage pivot, you have that greater evidence set of like what people were saying to you versus the like, say, a survey where they, yeah, they gave you all tens of how severe the problem was, but you didn't actually hear how severe that problem was for them. Um, Surveys
0: are great, but listen to their voice. Get them in person (laughs) if you can. You know, (laughs) they they have they have a purpose. They can have a purpose. Right. But like, but yeah, you've got you've got to talk to them. You've got you've got to talk to them in person. Just do what you can. If you can in person, if not, obviously on Zoom. If not, then on the phone. <laughs> in that order. But surveys yes.
1: surveys have a place when you're playing a numbers game, right? That's when, right. You, when you get to the point where you can do quantitative research, then that matters along with A-B testing and all kinds of other stuff that's that's yep. more quantitative. Yep. And like when we use that qualitative thing, that's why I did the thumbs down, you know, for, for the concept of surveys because when we're doing qualitative research, which is what I think a lot of listeners to this podcast are in that stage of just doing they're doing qualitative research and at that point like surveys suck they just don't do a good job of that they don't get the you don't get the whites of their eyes you know when you when you see something it's hard surveys close down doors that you don't have the opportunity to walk through in retrospect so like if you were like we were to go back and, and retell the shared vision story and replace the conversations with surveys, I don't think you'd end up where you were now nope. because right. you just oh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see the other opportunities because you didn't know to ask about them. And that's like, that's the magic of, of an interview. So, and if I think like, if I were to kind of tie up in a bow, the pivot or persevere thing by weaving together our whole conversation, it'd be something like this. So like Spencer, you said early on, you know, you, you you're talking about like five to seven people, right? It's, it's kind of the 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 sweet spot to to talk to, and I, c- I couldn't agree more, I think five's a magic number you know that gets you ninety five percent of the learnings and it's dimi- you know it's it's diminishing returns after that, so like great, so you talked to five or seven people, but then you also said it's really important that those people all look alike right? if you're talking to a scattershot group of people, you actually don't know what's noise and what's not, but if you're talking to five people who all look alike who we like to say are your customer right? So then you, you talk to them and you ask them questions in an open-ended way you, and you start getting that information back, you start getting data back. Then what we're looking for, for pivot and persevere is consistent stories. Like, are we consistently seeing the same thing? If you have a group of people that look alike and they're consistently not feeling the problem with their eyes aren't lighting up, like that's an indicator there. Like that's, your, that's how you know that you've got a problem is because what you, what you said that you would expect in that particular circumstance is not what you're getting and you're getting it consistently. But then when one of those other doors opens up, then you can ask about those. And if you get, again, consistent results in those people that you're talking to, then that becomes interesting as well. And it might make sense to say, we're getting consistent results negative over here, right? Consistent results that are positive over here. Maybe over here is better. Maybe we should change change tracks a little bit. And that's that to me is, a, is the pivot or per- persevere in the early stages. Can, are they consistent? Are we hearing consistent data qualitatively? Well, well said. Well said. I think Unfortunately, that's probably all the time we've got for today, but before we go this this wouldn't be zero attraction detraction if we didn't do some some frivolous thoughts at the end. Cameron's really disappointed that I was able <laughs> to say that because it yeah if uh, you if last, you if
2: you want to catch j d m off his game, go back to episode one where' fr- 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 frivolous <laughs> thoughts
1: <laughs> okay, that's because in my defense, all right, I had said let's call it frivolity. And then at the last minute, literally really right before we hit record, Cameron's like, no one's going to know what that term means. Let's change it to frivolous thoughts. And I'm like, fine. And so then in our pre-roll, I couldn't, I, I was stumbling through saying frivolous thoughts after everything I used to say frivolity. And so of course, what happens when we press record is I can't say the goddamn word. So, and, but we left it in the podcast because that's how we roll.
2: Lovely. So
1: I don't know, Cameron, why don't you, why don't you get us started? What's, what's something, what's, what's your frivolous thought? My frivolous percent. thought right now is
2: I, I did a triathlon this last weekend and I, I, I'm i thinking about why why did I sign up it was, well, certainly pure pressure from from family, but it, the, the thing that I wanted to bring up was you're kind of always like, if you're not properly prepared, you're kind of like dreading the thing. But then when you're done, you're like, I did it. When do we sign up for the next thing? And so it's kind of like, I, I think of like an entrepreneur, they might've failed on the next one, right? Like hearing like Spencer's story. Failed was you know at at basically the the bottom and was like well you know what I'm going to go start another startup and and go about doing that and so it's interesting kind of the the continuing to sign up for things that push you outside of your comfort zone and obviously the growth that you can have as a, as a person and so that's my frivolous thought for us today
1: that hardly seemed frivolous if I don't <laughs> if you don't mind me <laughs> don't mind me saying your frivolous thought is how to become a better person well. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't say, I can't say mine yet. I need a buffer in between, (laughs) in between the Spencer, you you go next. Oh my gosh. It's just the one that I can't, I can't, I just can't get over.
0: But my frivolous thought, I guess for today is, is maybe more exciting or more doom and gloom depending on how you look at it. But I, I am a big believer in, 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 in what AI is going to do both positively and potentially negatively for the industry or industries or markets all over. And my, my frivolous thought is, is really find a way to integrate it into your workflow or your company or both, if you can, just to find different, just different points of it, get to know it, figure out what's going on. You don't need to do all of them. Don't worry about all the, you know, you'll see these lists on LinkedIn and all over the place. They're like, check out my favorite 50 AI tools. And it's like, yeah, you're not using those. Pick one, <laughs> pick two, try them out figure out how to put it into your workflow, make your life easier. Yeah,
1: that's, that's, that's awesome. The, the, so many of the negative effects people are talking about have to do with like jobs getting replaced and everything. And so you're basically telling people like it's, it's coming, buck up, incorporate it. Don't get left behind. Right. It's too true. That's so true. All right. Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go like full frivolousness <laughs> today. We're gonna go, like- I expect nothing less, expect nothing less. <laughs> Save this is why we've come together. And JDN's going to come in with The Mandalorian. So here we go.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> so, all right. So I've been, by the time this comes out, I think we'll be at the last episode of, of The Mandalorian. Because we're recording this a little ahead of when it'll release. So I probably, by the time you are listening to this, have finished the season. But I have not yet. And I, I, I really enjoyed the first season. I'm not like a Star Wars guy. Like I, I, I'm a Star Trek guy. I'm not a big Star Wars guy. But I enjoy it, right? So I watch it. And when I watched the first season of Mandalorian, I actually really enjoyed it. It was like, a, it's a space Western. It was totally different and it was fun. When I second season was, was fine, but it didn't live after the first season. And so the third season, like we're most of the way through now. Like, I think it's like eight out of 10 episodes or, or something like that, but we're getting close to the end and I don't know what this season is about. And that's not a good sign. Like I just, it's, it's about the Mandalorian, but it's about the other Mandalorians too now and they've maybe hinted that there's a seasoned villain but there hasn't been a seasoned villain so it's just been these isolated stories one of which had the Mandalorian himself in it for like two minutes of like yes. a 45 minute episode yeah you know what I'm talking about and it wasn't it's not that any of the episodes are necessarily bad it's just like I don't know what I'm watching right now and so I don't know if this if they have the genius master plan, it's like Kathleen Kennedy over there with her genius master plan and her and Filoni and, and Favreau Favre, like, okay, we're going to tie this all together. And we're we'll like, now I get everything here. Or if they've just been stringing us along for a while, such as this nature of Star Wars and rant. That's my, that's my frivolous thought. What like, the hell I mean, are they doing? You're, I can't, you're all can't the let inc- it go.
0: Inconsistencies all over the place. We're going to make the Mandalorian solve them all. That's what it, that's what it feels like.
1: <laughs> it has become like, the Mandalorian for odd jobs. It's like Task Rabbit, but in the Star Wars universe. Oh, great. Great. Good, great. Good thoughts. Good thoughts for sure. Okay. Before we close out, you know, Spencer, where, where can people find you on the internet?
0: Yeah. You know, easiest way is probably to hit me up on LinkedIn. That's, that's really the one that I probably personally use the most. And, uh, you know, just Spencer Bardsley there. I think it's S. Bardsley, probably LinkedIn forward slash S. Bardsley. But you can find me, just use my name and I'll come up. And then, you know, check our website out at joinsharedvision.com. And, uh, you know, those are probably the, ma- the main places or follow us on Instagram if you want as well.
1: Yeah. All right. Awesome. We'll put the links to those three things in the show notes. Cameron, where can people find you on the Internet?
2: In is the the top place for me. So just Cameron R. Law is where I'm at. And yeah, Instagram, I guess, as well. But mainly in is the vehicle. And yeah, check it. Check out the zero to traction on LinkedIn as well.
1: All right. I, I'm mad at LinkedIn right now because I just keep getting spam connection requests and I've had it up mm-hmm. to here. So, no. so I'm going to say of so so me. So I,
2: have, I have, a, have a thing on that. So in my name, yeah. I have Cameron R Law. So part of my first name is Cameron R. So I can tell when people are automatically spamming me because it's automatically, hey, Cameron R. I was like, no, well, I'll see you later. Delete. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's why I have Josh David too. And I get every single day the, hi, Josh David. I'm really impressed by your background. I'm looking to expand my network. And I'm like, Ding saw it off you wanker yeah like you're, you not not, not happening dealing right oh man so i don't know follow me on youtube let's do that i'm i'm the real jdm on youtube so we'll put a link to cameron's linkedin just remember when you connect with him you better drop that r or he's gonna know and and know. my youtube on there and with that thanks thanks so much for for listening thank you spencer for for being a guest today super happy that you were you were here dropping all kinds of truth bombs and giving us the wisdom. So that's great. Be sure to you know like follow or subscribe in whatever podcast app you're listening to this thing right now and if you do have feedback for us we would love it if you would give us a review even if you don't give us a five-star review but we're really hoping for that five-star review so if we don't get that five-star review tell us how we get to that five-star review because as I've told you before, we we have to appease the algorithm. It's the only way we survive. Our AI overlords run our lives and this is what we need to do to stay relevant. So we'll be back in your your feed in two weeks with another part of our first five episode series on Startups 101. And uh, so stay tuned for that and that's it. Thanks Cameron, thanks Spencer, see you guys.